So, hey, we are in week six of a seven-week series uh, called Pillow Talk, where we are going through the book Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on your translation. And if you remember the first week, we are uh, introduced to the two main characters, King Solomon, and then uh, the love of his life, uh, the, the young Jewish gal that he met while he was out surveying his kingdom. And uh, they came along, and we've been able to watch their love grow. We saw them get married. We saw them go through some really tough times, and uh, they actually separated. And then um, we saw them come back together, and Dan last uh, week talked a little bit um, about their relationship growing. And then this week, we get to uh, see their relationship as it has matured. And it's kind of neat to see how it's progressed and how it's come from the, if you remember in the beginning, the infatuation stage into something that has really grown into a mutual partnership of doing life together. But uh, before we jump into that, we have uh, our Show Your Loved One contest, uh, that they're handsome or, or beautiful or special contest going on. And uh, we got some pretty good... <laughs> so here's the winner this week, and you're probably, when I read it, you're going to kind of chuckle, and, but, they're, and, uh, but it, I thought it was really, really cool, and I think that it really teaches. It's actually the first winner of two people who are not married. Uh, they're just dating, and I, they wanted me to keep this anonymous, so I will, so um, I'm going to take out the name so it might get a little bit rough, but... Uh, you guys are used to that. So, dear Mark, I can't believe what my girlfriend did to show me an act of servitude. We have been dating for over a month now. <laughs> and things are going great. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean to laugh, but if it's not going great after a month, you know, might be time to look somewhere else. Let's see. Okay. I have been getting a gut feeling that this was the one God had chosen for me, but now I know. When we came home from church today after an amazingly prepared meal from Ryan's Steakhouse, she told me she had a surprise. I had no idea what she had in store for me. She told me to go sit on the balcony and she would bring it to me. So I did, wondering what it could be. Well, she came outside with a pitcher of water, a bowl, and a towel. She knelt down at my feet and slipped off my socks and began to wash my feet. At first I smiled and said, No, you don't have to do this. No, stop, really. <laughs> but as she finished my first foot, I began to thank God. God has assured me that, yes, she is the one. After she washed my feet and wiped them dry, I hugged her and I told her I loved her. I told her that one day I would surprise her with a foot wash to show my service to her. Then he goes on to tell about how this is a private matter. And I just thought that that was such an amazing uh, thing and, and made me ask the question to myself, you know, why 
do we stop doing things like that? I mean, why, why do we stop going outside of, you know, outside of, our, uh, of our comfort zone and to show the people who are meant to mean the most to us in the world that they are special and they're handsome and, and they're beautiful? And that, I think if there's any learning out of this series, I really pray that we are encouraged to, to court our husbands and wives continually, to, to continually think about things and think about things that we used to do when we were only dating a month. What were the things that, that, that made them feel special, thinking outside of the box? And, and this week, I want you to really think about those and, and send those in to me at marketmy3.org so we can go out on a bang, just really seeing just the creativity that each and every one of us to use to show our loved ones, the people who mean the most to us, that they are indeed the only ones for us. If you open up your Bibles to Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on your version, uh, we are again seeing, uh, getting a snapshot of a, of a relationship that has matured. And it's one of the coolest things for me to see people who... Uh, uh, are along the path a little bit. Uh, people have been married 40, 50, 60 years and uh, holding hands still. And, and when they look at each other and, and uh, they look at each other with a, with a knowing eye. And just seeing the, the maturity of the relationship after it's, it's past that obnoxious infatuation level and to, you know, to the kind of just really trying to figure each other out to the where, you know, you guys know, each person knows that, that this relationship is going to be together forever. Excuse me. Somebody put a magic carpet and it's trying to kill me uh, under my feet. So this is what we have. Uh, in verse 10, it starts, she says, I am my lover's. And he claims me as his own. This is the first time in this book that she actually says that, that he claims her and that she is her lover's. It's a, it's a switch on plane. It's a, just a, a nuance. But many times in the nuances of speech that we really get to the heart of the matter. And what we're seeing here is, is that there, this relationship has grown into a point where there's solidarity and there's mutual respect. And then she comes and says, Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. You see, in the ancient Near East culture, it was a very male-dominated culture. And males were the ones who were meant to instigate or initiate sexual contact and, and social contact. But here we're seeing that she has an openness, that she has a security in this relationship that she wants to spend time with him that she doesn't feel 
any fear of retribution or being shunned by him. And she goes and says, look, let's go out to the country. Let's enjoy ourselves. And when they're there, I want to make love to you. I want to be with you. She goes on to say, there the mandrakes give off their fragrance. Now, this might be lost upon you if you're not familiar with mandrakes and, and ancient Near East culture. But, but mandrakes in the ancient Near East culture were the equivalent of Viagra. I mean, they were considered an aphrodisiac. And she's saying, look, not only do I want to make love to you, but I want to make love to you. I mean, that's, she, she, she is making it very, very clear that she wants to be with him. And she goes on and says, And the finest of fruits are at our door. New delights as well as old. We will experience new things and we will remember and experience the old things together. Which I have saved for you, my lover. And it's this beautiful picture of a, a more mature marriage. That they have come together and they know each other's needs. They know how to make each other feel special. And they continue to show one another those things. It's really a biblical picture of what a marriage should be. A, a biblical understanding that a marriage is a partnership between two people equally doing life together and hopefully encouraging one another to do life well and live out the vision that God has for their lives. If you turn your Bibles to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about, about uh, equal partnerships in marriage this way. It says in verse 2, But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Now this is really interesting. Again, in the, in the Eastern culture, that, that if you were just looking and, and, and letting, how, letting relationships being dictated by the culture, this would never happen. That the, the sexual needs of the wife was not even a concern in that culture in that time. But we as followers of Christ are not controlled by the culture. We learn and, and, and understand how to do life through God's word. And against the culture, Paul is saying here, and saying the female first, he's all, look, husbands, you should fulfill your wife's sexual needs. And then as a partnership, he goes back, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself more completely to prayer. You see, what Paul is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, look, this is a gift from God. They, 
husband and wife coming together and experiencing a precious gift that doesn't get shared with anybody else. And both of you should, should fulfill your partner's needs. Unless for a limited time you want to devote yourself to prayer. And for me, that's like 10 minutes or something. And right back at it. Afterwards, you should come together so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. But, but God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. And a lot of times in messages that, that last sentence just kind of gets left out, but we really uh, take seriously the complete, uh, the complete scripture here and, and complete ideas. And what God is trying to communicate here is, look, you know what? Singleness is awesome. And marriage is awesome. And they both represent two different types of gifts. And I think a lot of times when you look at the 20th and 21st century church, that, that the idea that, that singleness is a gift has been lost on us. You know, we have groups that, you know, we have singles groups. And I understand singles groups. You know, I, coming together with like-minded people. But one of the problems with, with single groups is that there's this, unspoken pressure that you don't want to be in the singles group too long. You don't want to be that person where a whole group cycles out and graduates to the married group and you're sitting there, you know, single. But you know what? That should be celebrated. You know, there's nothing worse than getting married to the wrong person just because you felt like you should get married. Marriage does not fulfill you. If God has called you to be married and, ha and it has brought you together at the right time with the right person, then that can be a gift. But if we force the issue just because we don't want to be in the singles class, that can become a curse. But God says, look, singleness is great. You have freedom when you're single. You can do so many things when you're single. I can use you so much when you're single. But he also says, I also have different gifts and different uses for those who are married. But there's not a hierarchy of marital status in the church. They're equal. And when you turn back to Song of Solomon... The young woman says again in, in chapter 8, verse 1, she says, Oh, I wish you were my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. Then I could kiss you no matter who was watching, and no one would criticize me. Now, you might be like thinking, that's weird. You know, who wants to kiss their sister or you know, whatever like that. But again, we got to take ourselves out of our culture and into this culture in which this was being written. And in the ancient Near East culture, public display of affection, PDA, was not smiled upon. 
that, that it would be a serious social faux pas. And all she's saying is yearning after they've been married all of these years in this mature relationship. She's saying, man, I just, I wish I could show you affection all the time. I wish I could hold your hand and kiss you in public because my heart just beats for you. She says, I would bring you to my childhood home, and there you would teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, my sweet pomegranate wine. Your left arm would be under my head, and your right arm would embrace me. And as she gives this picture of them in the security of her home, remember that's her love language, and her being intimate with the love of her life, She once again cries out to the women of Jerusalem saying, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awake love until the time is right. The time is right. You know, as we look at this and as our relationships progress, I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give somebody is time. And it seems like the first thing that we stop giving someone is our, is our relationships grow. And I don't know if we feel more secure or we feel that we can take advantage of the situation. I'm not sure exactly why it is, but for some reason along the line, the, the fervor, the, the, the desire to spend time together decreases. And then we end up investing and squandering our time on things that really do not matter. I think that a lot of times on, you know, on, on your deathbed, I don't think that there's been many people that said, I wish I spent another hour at the office. Or I wish I, I, wish I only got to level 8 on Grand Theft Auto 4. These are not the things that we have regrets about. We have regrets about the time that we spent or had not spent with our loved ones. And I want you to imagine that there is a bank, a bank that every single day they would deposit $86,400 into your account. And it would carry no balance. At the end of each day, your account would be drained. So however you spent that $86,400 was all that you, all the enjoyment and all the investment and all the benefit that you were going to get out of that money. There's no overdraft protection. There's, there was no savings account. There's no money market. It's just you get $86,400 a day. How would you spend those dollars? Well, there is a bank like that. It's called the Bank of Time. Each one of us, every day, get get 86,400 seconds. Doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, smart, an idiot. It doesn't matter. We all get the same thing. We've talked about this. This is one of life's great equalizers. 86,000. 400 seconds. And we each get to choose how we are going to invest it. 
There's no going back and there's no saving it for the future. There's only that moment. And you wonder, well, what is the value? You may ask yourself, what is the value of a year? Maybe you should ask a student who failed a grade and has to repeat it. What's the value of a month? I would say ask a mother who is prematurely given birth. What's the value of one week? Talk to, to an editor of a weekly newspaper. What's the value of one day? Ask a day laborer who has to make a certain amount of money just to feed their family. What's the value of an hour? Ask two people that have been separated who are waiting to be reunited. What's the value of a minute? Ask somebody who's missed a train or a plane. What's the value of one second? Ask somebody who's missed, who missed being in an accident. What's the value of a, a millisecond? Ask the silver medalist at the Olympics this year. You see, time waits for no one. That 86,400 seconds we get each day is all we get. There's no yesterday, there's no tomorrow, there's just today. We can spend those times regretting what we did in the past. We can spend that time dreaming of what we are going to do in the future. But the only thing that we actually have control of is the day that we're in. And I opened up my Bible and I just wanted to get a biblical perspective on what, how God looks at time. And he says, yesterday is history. In Philemon chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, no. Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, talking about becoming a perfect super-Christian. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Tomorrow, the Bible says, is a mystery. In James chapter 4, verse 14, James says, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. The reality is that today is a gift. Paul again in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For God says, At just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And what Paul's talking about here obviously is the most important thing that we can do in life. And that is to begin a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. To ask for forgiveness and to follow him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But I think this principle of the right time translates very nicely 
into all other aspects of life. The right now. How are you going to choose to invest that time? Are you going to invest it in work, which has lots of benefits? But if we're going to have the proper perspective on things, really what life comes down to is having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. And all the rest is just commentary. All the rest is just filler. And we need to get our priorities right. That we've got to love our Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's what we need to be investing our time in. And we need to be investing our time in the loved ones that God has surrounded us with and building those relationships. Because I guarantee you, at the end of the day, at the end of our life, nothing else will matter. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear God, I just pray that you have challenged us today to cherish and treasure the seconds, the minutes, the hours, the days that you've entrusted to us. I pray that we will invest them wisely, that we will keep our eyes squarely on you and our arms around our loved ones. In Jesus' name, amen.